0: Hi, I'm Enzo, and welcome to another episode of Nuggets of Theology. I want to start with the disclaimer that I have already written and posted the content of this episode on my personal Facebook profile, so I'm mostly just reading off of it. But I found it imperative to include it in this podcast, especially after the last episode we did on the Kingdom of God. I repeat the disclaimer in the pilot episode. I do not claim to know everything. Most of the time, I'm just a mouthpiece, uh, an amplifier, but always and always still just a student. And again, many of you will disagree with me, but I enjoin you to respectful and meaningful dialogue. This is how we can properly move forward and learn from each other. These being said, I want to note that for this episode especially, I take from and draw with the wisdom of my previous theology professors in university and in four seminal pieces of literature by widely celebrated and decorated theologians. These are Albert Nolan's Jesus Before Christianity, Gustavo Gutierrez's Liberation Theology, Roger Hates' The Preferential Option for the Poor, and finally, John Sobrino's Awakening from the Sleep of Inhumanity. This is God Has Favorites. Growing up, We've been told by many of our devout relatives that the responsibility of a good Christian is to hear Mass every Sunday, follow the Ten Commandments obediently, pray the Rosary, say grace before every meal, and a seemingly endless litany of what good Christians ought to do. Fine, that's all nice and dandy, But to be a follower of Christ, a true follower of Christ, requires us to do more than our comfortable duties. There is more to being a Christian than praying the rosary in comfortable clothes in an air-conditioned room. For this episode, I would argue primarily that as Christians, it is our duty to enforce the preferential option for the poor, sometimes called the preferential love for the poor. For those of us who have taken theology already, this phrase is already quite familiar to many of us. This term, which is argued to date back as far as Pope Leo XIII's Rerum Novarum, an encyclical, or maybe even farther, is actually used almost abusively now. When one thinks of liberation theology, the immediate thought that comes into mind is the preferential option for the poor. You see, therein lies the problem. The more you use a word, the more you forget its meaning, the more ubiquitous something is, the lesser its gravity and its impact become. The sad reality is, Christians, a lot of us, have become so accustomed to the phrase, the urgency of our mission has become gravely muted. Or even worse so, a lot of Christians don't even know the term a lot of Christians find the preferential option for the poor something totally foreign. They believe wholeheartedly that a good Christian requires only not sleeping halfway through a homily. In this respect then, we need to revisit the term. Reflect on it and hopefully restore its power and its necessity. So when one is to talk about the preferential option for the poor, I guess the appropriate jump-off question is, who are the poor? Almost instinctively, we have an answer, an image of who the poor are and how they look like. Let's remember, however, that in the Gospels, the poor did not just refer to the economically disadvantaged. No. The poor, as Father Albert Nolan would put it, referred to the beggars. The poor, in the Gospels, are the beggars. These included the crippled, the lame the sick, oppressed cultural minorities, prostitutes, women, disabled children, those who were rejected by society, the outcasts, the unemployable, those whose only means of surviving was to beg. John Sobrino would call them non-persons, Those who do not know what it feels like to be a human being. Those who do not know how it feels like to be fully alive. These are the poor, and these are the kinds of people Jesus dined with. We know this. All good Christians know that Jesus ate with the sinners, with prostitutes, with tax collectors. Sure, so what? It's time to take this a bit farther. The theological truth, for me at least, and again, many of you will disagree with me, is bold, daring, yet quite simple. God loves the poor more than He does the rich. Yep, for many of us listening to this, we are not God's favorites. This is readily evident in the Holy Scriptures. The first beatitude of Jesus from the Gospel according to Matthew reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, verse 3. The Gospel of Mark declares that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 25. We would be lying to ourselves if we believed that God does not give special treatment to the suffering. So wait, wait. Does this then mean that God does not love us? Does God not love me? Of course not. Allow me to borrow the words of one of the most influential theologians in history, the forefather of the theology of liberation, Gustavo Gutierrez. He says, The God proclaimed by Jesus Christ is a God whose call is universal and addressed to every human being. At the same time, however, God has a preferential love for the poor and the dispossessed. Why does God seemingly play favorites then? Well, God prefers the poor not because the poor are more righteous. Not at all. There are plenty, plenty, of vicious and evil poor people in the same way that there are numerous, virtuous, and loving rich persons. But God prefers the poor anyway. Why? For the simple reason that they are poor. The poor are also more predisposed to do the will of God they are in a better position to continue Christ's ministry because unlike the rich, the poor have nothing to lose in the process of fulfilling the kingdom of God on earth as Christ did. To more properly and eloquently phrase this, the words of Father Roger Haight, a Jesuit by the way, seems to be most true then in this regard addressing, talking to, and even placating the rich, he writes, The church loves you too, but the poor, the poor needs the church more. Thus, despite the egalitarian nature of God's universal love, God loves most those who are most in need. God is on the side of the poor because with respect to their poverty and the damage it causes, they are most in need. The poor. These people are stuck in systemic oppression and cyclical poverty. It would be unbecoming of a Christian to think that they do not need God's love more. These being said, what does it mean then that we have as Christians the duty to enforce the preferential option for the poor? It means that from a position of at least relative privilege, we need to practice that preferential love for our poor brothers and sisters as well. And concurrently, act with their best interests in mind, too. It beckons the Christian community, the church, to do away the othering it has done for the most parts of its existence. The closest English word I could think of is compassion. But with the way things are and with the way things have been, The preferential option for the poor requires more than just being compassionate, more than just being empathetic. So, we turn to Greek to aid us. The preferential option for the poor involves largely, if not totally, splaknizomai. Splaknizomai. Possessing spine-tingling, gut-wrenching compassion for the suffering, and being unabatedly angry with the evil realities of the times, you are virtually left with no choice but to move and do something. It is being so disgusted, At the injustices of today, staying silent becomes inhuman. I would argue that this is the true essence of the preferential option for the poor, more than it being the first tenet, the first phrase associated with liberation theology, more than just a slogan we passively parade under, more than just a phrase we write in our essays for plus points. The preferential option for the poor is to live a life that emulates Christ's table fellowships with the Amha Ares, unbridled compassion, splaknizumai, and the eruption of the poor, eruption, I-R-R-U-P-T-I-O-N, and the eruption of the poor making the absent present. Helping them, helping the poor get out of situations and structures that prevent them from being fully alive. Indeed, the message and the origins of the preferential option for the poor is as beautiful as it is controversial. Of course, what I'm saying only deals with the tip of the iceberg. My prayer, therefore, is that we personally delve into this further or at least visit the rationale behind this duty every time we begin to forget its gravity and urgency. Or you know, have meaningful and respectful dialogue. See, like what I said in the last episode, The Word became flesh in Jesus Christ, not only so we'd go to Mass, pray the Rosary, pay our tithes, and call it the end of our Christian duty. Absolutely not. Again, we need to remind ourselves constantly that the Son of Man came to the world not to bring people to the kingdom of heaven, but to bring the kingdom here. As a church, it is our duty to continue what Christ has already started and we cannot, in good conscience, begin to bring the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven if we do not have the poor, first and foremost, in our prayers and in our actions, which should go well beyond the familiar and the comfortable." One of St. Irenaeus' most famous quotes is, Gloria Dei est vivens homo, often translated to the glory of God is in the human fully alive. It is my firmest belief that this eloquently encapsulates our mission to find God's favorites and to bring forth the glory of God down here for creation by ensuring all of us, but most especially the poor, feel truly, completely, and fully alive. God has favorites. He shows a preferential love to those who need Him the most. As Christians, we are again called to show that preferential love to the poor for ourselves and in our everyday living. What an unchristianly life we'd be living if that simply meant praying and sending well wishes to the suffering poor. There is more to be done. There is really, really so much more to be done as the church. God's favorites are a crucified people. They are hated, killed, silenced, and ignored unrightfully in the margins. God's favorites, indeed, are crucified. And we need to do everything we can to bring them down the cross. Thank you, and I'll see you all in the next episode.